The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these were with one accord, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was, all, was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward to Joseph called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Let's pray. Father God, We just take a moment to pause and thank you for this morning that we're here, we're alive, we're here together serving and and worshiping you, God. And I pray that this morning as we are here, that our hearts and our minds be open to what you have for us. We thank you so much for dying on the cross, for sending your son to die on the cross for us so that we have this opportunity to deepen our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, good morning, everybody. All right, well, week two, we're out in the park. Thanks for being here. And um, I'm feeling like I might be an 8.30 a.m. worship person. You know, like just a little bit earlier. We, we were used to 10.30, but I'm like, man, I kind of like this early morning worship experience. And, um, and so I'm glad that you made it out this morning. Uh, today, uh, we are going to be looking again at the book of Acts, and so that's the series that we are in right now. We're going to be going through the whole book of Acts, and I'm excited about that. Um, as I think about how the book of Acts has convicted me, you know, we talked last week about uh, five years as a church plan. And for the book of Acts, this book in particular right here is the one that convicted me about the need for church plants. Because what we see through the book of Acts is that God is pushing his people out of their comfort zones to go and to reach, as Jesus said last week in Acts 1-8, the ends of the earth. And so because of the work that happened in the book of Acts and what God has done, it reached you and me today. Today. 
and God is continuing to move today. So we're going to be looking at uh, this text uh, from Acts 1, verses 12 through 26. And here's the message for today. Discerning God's will. Discerning God's will. You know, my kids um, got three of them and uh, 10, 8, and 7. And they've come up to me at different points and they've told me, Dad, this is what I want to be when I grow up. I said, that's great. And then at certain points, they'll come up to me and they'll say, Dad, this is, what, what, what do you think I should be when I grow up? I said, well, I mean, you know, what is it that's on your heart? And so we kind of do the same thing when it comes to discerning God's will, don't we? God is our Father in heaven, and, and we come to him at certain times. We say, God, um, you know, here's the things that I want to do. Here's all the plans that I have. But then there's another posture that we take where we come to God and we say, well, God, what do you want me to do? What am I here to do? And as we read through this book in this text today, what we're going to see is that it's not a posture of the disciples and the people that are following Jesus coming to Jesus and saying, hey, um, here's what we want to do. Here's what I got on my heart to do. But there's a posture of, no, we're coming to God as father saying, what do you want me to do? What should I do with my life? You see, I get the question all the time, how, how do I know God's will for my life? And as we look at the text today, we're going to see that there's this posture of it not being this, here's everything that's going to happen to you in your life, and here's all the plans that I have all spread out right in front of you, and you get to kind of see all the details of it. But no, it's, it's, it's trusting and stepping in faith one step at a time, much like Eugene Peterson once said, it's a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. What direction is that? Lord, lead me. Lord, guide me. Lord, direct me. See, that's what it looks like to discern God's will. And we're going to see it in this text today because many times, unknowingly, what we do is we do this. God, What's your will for my life, for me? And what happens is it becomes all about me, 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 and we get really discouraged, don't we? Because we think that at the end of the day, it's about me. But what we're going to see in the text today and what we see throughout the scriptures is that your life is not about you. My life is not about me. Our lives are about Christ and his kingdom. And so you're going to see the kingdom of God expanding as they start to shift the way that they're thinking. Because again, it's moving it out of the me focus and onto God, onto the Father. What does the Father want? What does God want? And then you're going to start to see the will of God being discerned. So um, just a little background from this text as we look at Acts 1, 12 through 26, written by Luke. Luke was a doctor. He's technical. And so when you look at the gospel of Luke, you're going to see a lot of details. And he was writing to someone named Theophilus. We talked a little bit about that last week. But what you need to know is that he is 
really building a case for the historical Jesus all through the gospel of Luke. And so we get to part two, which is the book of Acts written by Luke, where he is, again, showing the history of how the church started. And I'm thankful for the book of Acts because, again, we're a church, and for a church plant to look at the book of Acts, I think it's really helpful for us to remember what the church is all about. Because the church can start to become about other things other than Jesus and the kingdom. And so today, we want to look at the book of Acts and remember that it, it comes back to the center on Christ. What we looked at a couple weeks ago was Luke 24. Jesus had risen from the dead. He came. It said that he taught for 40 days and, and really shared with them the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God is about. And we see that this is the birth of the church. And so the question for today is, how do we learn to discern God's will according to this text? There's some helpful things that we can learn. So learning to discern God's will comes through, number one, if you're taking notes, seeking God collectively. Seeking God collectively. Number two, seeing through scripture. And number three, stepping in obedience. Okay? Seeking God collectively, seeing through scripture, and stepping in obedience. So the first one is seeking God collectively. Look at verses 12 through 14. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. So there were two Judases. This is the one that didn't betray Jesus. And so we get to verse 14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So what we see here is there's a collective group of people praying. We see the 11 disciples, the apostles um, that Jesus handpicked. We see that there are women Mary, the mother of Jesus, Jesus' brothers. Now, if you were to think about the history of Jesus and you look at the Gospels, what we saw is that even Jesus' brothers and family members didn't believe he was who he was as we read through the story. And so there's a shift that started to happen now where his family starting to believe. And, And there is a collection of people that are praying. See, many times we struggle with prayer because of two things that we see from this text. The first one is this. We need to understand that prayer is a collective effort. It's not something that we just do solo, but it's something that we do collectively. See, what you see in this group is men, women, It's multi-generational, and they're gathering to pray. They're all seeking God together. See, this isn't just one little group or one little segment of people, but this is saying it's a collective group of people seeking God. And when we think of the church and what the church is, it's a collective group of people, different backgrounds, coming together, seeking God. 
See, for some of us, we may, we may have never grown up in church. I didn't grow up in church. And I remember for myself, that pressure that I put on myself to pray. You know what I mean? That, that pressure that you, you put on yourself, the, the, the feeling that you have of, oh, I don't know if I'm praying the right words. I don't know if I'm doing this right. And some of you even today feel that, that pressure that you place on yourself. But the beauty of it is, is that God didn't call you to just to pray alone. But he called you to, to pray alongside brothers and sisters that will help you on that journey. See, what happens in the church is this, that there's going to be a, a freedom to come to a brother or sister and say, you know what, I don't even know how to pray right now, but can you pray for me? See, that's why after every service, we have people that are praying in the back. There's a care line that you can reach out to for prayer requests. See, this is not a singular journey. I've got this all on my own. I can do this all by myself. But no, what we see here is that the, it is seeking God collectively in prayer. And that it's a journey. The second part is this, that prayer has a kingdom focus. It's got a kingdom focus. And so what we do many times in per individual ways is we do this. Our prayers are about our little castles. It's all about like, hey, God, can you do these things for me? And so what we do is we build up these little palaces and castles and all these things that start to happen in our lives. And we don't even realize it. A lot of our prayers, if we pray, are going to be about how am I doing? What's the things that are going on in my life? But what we see in this text is that there's a shift that happens where Jesus is teaching them about the kingdom and saying, okay, seek the kingdom. Devote yourself to the kingdom of God. It's very much like Matthew 6, It says, seek first the kingdom of God, right? Like seek first his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. But what we do many times is we switch it and we make it all about, let me ask God about all these things that I want him to add to my life. And we miss out on the kingdom that he's calling us to live for. See, this is about praying about something that's much bigger than ourselves and saying, God, help me to live for you. I don't understand the kingdom. Help me to live for the kingdom. It's a shift. There was an article that we sent out to the church. I encourage you to read it. It's called Kingdom-Centered Prayer. It was written by Timothy Keller. But one of the things he says is this. He says, um, it's a quote from him. He said, Jack Miller talks about the difference between maintenance and frontline prayer meetings. Maintenance prayer meetings are short, mechanical, and totally focused on physical, personal needs inside the church. It's all about us. But frontline prayer has three basic traits. A request for grace to confess sins and humble ourselves. It's coming to God saying, humble me, Lord. A compassion and zeal for the flourishing of the church. Lord, I want to see your kingdom expand. I want to see this to be about you, not myself. And a yearning to know God and see his face, to see his glory. See, what we think many times is that the gift is more important than the gift giver. We, we want the gift. We want the, hey, God, like, can you just fix this problem for me? And not the gift giver. And what we see all through the scriptures is that there's this focus on the gift giver 
and how that's more important. And then you really enjoy the gifts that he gives you along the way because it wasn't about that. It was about him. You enjoy that presence with him. You know, and so this is what we're talking about when we're seeking God collectively through this passage is that's what's happening here in the text. See, verse 14. And these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, themselves collectively coming together. And so today, where are you at in that? Second, helping us to learn to discern God's will is not only just our prayer starts to change, but we start to see things through scripture. Seeing through scripture, verses 15 through 16. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Again, verse 16, the scripture had to be fulfilled. That the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand. What do we learn about the scripture here? What do we learn about this? That God has a plan. And that you're not going to understand all the details, but it will be revealed to you at different points. See, they didn't understand everything that was happening in the moment. But God was revealing it to them through the scriptures. And it says the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand. Here's the thing. This book is different than any other book that you're ever going to read. This is inspired by God. Right? This is the Holy Scriptures. And so the Holy Spirit wrote these things out. Yes, there were, there were writers and authors, but it says in Scripture that they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. So this, was, this is going to be different. Hebrews 4.12. You know, the Scriptures are, are going to speak to you in different ways than any other book that you're going to read. Says this book is living and active. And so for us, when we come to the scriptures, the scriptures are different. And here's the thing we need something that's different that to, to, to speak into our life when we're going through difficult times. Because the disciples were processing two very difficult, maybe even confusing, of recent events. First, the disciples in particular, 11 here, but there were 12 in total. They were processing this, that Judas, who had walked with them for three years, probably had built a strong friendship with just betrayed their master, Jesus. And not only that, he took his own life. Like we, we, we kind of skim over that, right? We take it and we say, oh, wow, that's, that's, that happened. But that's a lot to take in. On top of that, Jesus, their master, had died. Pretty traumatic experience, I would say, seeing your master dying on the cross. Then resurrected, what is happening? Taught them for 40 days. And so they see someone that was dead, that there's their master coming back, 40 days teaching them, is alive again. And he'd given them this new mission for life. You see, the interesting thing is that Peter, he, he had gone back to fishing. He went back to his old trade. And then now it's like he, everything's been, been changed. He's seen Jesus and, and they've been radically changed by Jesus. And so their whole life trajectory has changed. It's going in a new direction than what they thought it was going to go in. You ever had an experience like that? 
where Jesus comes into your life radically changes the direction you thought you were going in life? You know, that's, just, that's, that's, that's what happened to me. And how, how do they interpret everything that's going on? By starting to see life through the scriptures. By, by starting to, to interpret things. And in, in, in this one in particular, this is a specific time, specific event. Right? As, as they were processing what had happened. But here's the, the, the thing that we see that's very clear is they start to see the scriptures through a gospel-centered, Christ-centered lens. They start to see that Jesus is, is, is working and, and in the scriptures. And he's working out this plan that's a lot bigger than what they could see. And so for you and me, the same thing is true. As, as we start to think about God's word, there's this principle that's there. It's the principle that when we start to see life through scripture, through what God says, it's going to change us to help our perspective get to where it needs to be. Because many times it gets off track. And this is what guided them through the, one of the, I would say probably one of the most difficult times up to that point in their life. Psalm 119, 105 says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. See, this is what we call the revealed will of God. There is a revealed will of God in the scriptures. You want to know what God wants you to do? Read the word. There's a revealed part of it, right? It's not hidden like God has given us, Jesus gave them a mission. It was very clear. There's a revealed part of it. And so the people, we might be struggling today. God, what's your will for my life? There is a revealed part of that as we look at the scriptures. But secondly, there's, there's a concealed part of it too. The concealed will of God. The part that, that we don't know. And we're going to see that next in the third point, stepping in obedience. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time, this is verses 21 through 26, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed. Again, they didn't like, okay, you're the most able person. This would be the most strategic move for us. No, no, no. They prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Now, how can we step in obedience in the concealed will of God? Well, we learn two ways from this text. It's this. It's when we know, number one, that God is with us. When we know that God is with us. Look at verse 24. And they prayed and said, You, Lord. You, Lord. Now, now I want you to, to settle in for a minute and think about that. 
This is not a detached you, Lord. But, but this is a personal you, Lord. Okay, they've, they've seen Jesus. They know Jesus. They know that Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father. And so you, Lord, they know that God is with them. I remember uh, seeing a Facebook post from a friend. Here's what she said. She says, handing this day over to God, I can't get through it all, but he can. What is that? From somebody, from a perspective that's a believer, I say, wow, she believes that God's really with her. That she's just not throwing it up in the air, but she's saying, I'm believing that he is with me. Right? And so there's a presence there that God is with her. And as you look at the disciples here and they're praying, it's you, Lord, you're with us. But next it's this, that God knows our heart. Verse 24, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen. You have chosen. Where do we struggle the most at times? It's when we got decisions to make and things to do and we're so concerned and worried about what people think about us. Right, we're just struggling with, well, I want them to know my heart. I want them to know my motivations. I want them to understand kind of where I'm coming from, what my perspective is. Right, we, we struggle with that. That's the thing that goes on in our heart and our mind all the time. We're just rattling around in there. But what we see here is that the disciples are saying, you know what, at the end of the day, it's not about what other people are going to think about us because they're about to be sent into a very difficult environment to live out their faith. But what this is, is them saying, you know what, God knows the heart. And so the thing that concerns us many times is what do people think about my heart But the focus here is, what does God think of the heart? And ultimately, at the end of the day, what happens is not my plan, but it's going to be God's plan because it's already this, you have chosen. That's past tense. That's not like you will choose or we're going to figure this out. No, God's already chosen. God already has a plan. And so we're just asking God, what's your plan? What's your plan? Because you already know the heart. You see, it's when we know God is with us and that he knows our hearts that we will step in obedience. Recently, my daughter, um, Elle, she's eight, she's around here. She was on the diving board. And she was walking to the very edge of the diving board, the first time she's ever been on the diving board. And she walked up. And then she walked back. I said, you can do it. You can do it. I'm going to get in the water right now. I'm going to be right there. And I'm going to wait for you. She said, okay, you wait right there. And I'm going to jump right into your arms. And so we counted down, three, two, one. And she jumps and I catch her. Now here's the thing I know. Is that that's a scary experience. Being at the top of a diving board as a kid and not knowing what's going to happen as you jump into the water. 
but just taking that leap. But the fact that she knew that I was with her helped her to jump. It helped her to take that deep breath and take the leap of faith and jump. But secondly, it's this, that she knew me. She knew that I wasn't going to, whoops, sorry, just kidding. Not going to catch you. And what the Bible tells us about the scriptures is this, that our father in heaven is better than any earthly father that we could ever have. And so as we start to think about stepping in obedience to the will of God and the thing that is really the concealed will of God, like we don't know what's on the other side. She didn't know exactly what was going to happen as she jumped. She still jumped. And so for you and me today, what does that look like? So there are some takeaways here. They're really quick. The first one is this. It's a question. How's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? And are you doing this alone or with others? Have you asked? Maybe all it's going to take is for you to just send out a text to somebody. Say, you know, I've really been struggling with praying and I don't even know where to start, but could you pray for me? And that could be the the floodgates that opens up your prayer life. Just knowing the fact that somebody's praying for you. See, one of the most encouraging things to me over the past month has been people just sending me texts and saying, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your family. Right? There are times where it's just hard to know what to pray. But to know that it's a collective effort to pray and, and seek God, and it's not just a solo thing where it's just me. And so again, maybe it's just that simple text of reaching out and that could be the floodgates that open on your prayer life. Second is this, are you seeing life through God's word? Because what you're gonna find is that there's promises all throughout scripture. There's gonna be promises that say that God is faithful, that God is good, that God loves you, that he cares, right? God is near to the brokenhearted, Like all of these promises of God. And God is 100% faithful every single time. See, we might not understand it in our lives because there's the circumstances that we go through. We might not understand it in the moment, but we will look back later and say, oh, that's what he was doing. See, I didn't even see it then. I didn't see it in the moment. But God was working. And so you're going to need the scriptures to help guide you. Some of the most difficult times in my life, there's been scriptures that have come alongside and God has shown me, oh man, I was missing it the whole time, right? Like that's what, he's bringing me back to what matters. And so it's seeing life through God's perspective because what can happen is we start to see it through a negative self perspective and we start to let our thoughts take over. But it says to to capture those thoughts and take them captive to Christ, And we do that through his word. And lastly, what's the next step God is asking you to take? What's the next step? I don't know what that step is, but it's going to be between you and God wrestling together and really getting to a place of saying, okay, God, I just want to make that right next obedient step to you. That's where I want to go. 
And it's just going to start with this. First, just love God. And you can love God because of this, because you know that he loves you. Trepper Longman III said, Believers can recognize that none of their troubles take God by surprise and none will derail his purpose of making things right for those who faithfully love him. God's got a bigger plan than what you can see. And so how can we step in faith when it's hard to discern God's will? It's knowing this, that at the end of the day, God's will was to allow his son Jesus to be betrayed, to be hung on a cross, Why? For you and me. For you and me. See, at the end of the day, it wasn't the will of the Romans or Judas or the Pharisees that ultimately put Jesus on that cross. It says this in Isaiah 53.10. Yet it was the will of God to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Again, ultimately it was God's will that Jesus would be crushed so that you can be lifted up and that I could be lifted up. So if you don't know Jesus today, I invite you to come to a knowledge of him and what it means to be a Christian. And he'll start to sort some of those things out in your life. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for how this speaks to us right where we're at. And and it's hard to discern what your will is at times, but there is a revealed will. And part of that is just to, to know you, love you, trust you, and see who you are. And then that concealed will of just stepping and trusting in faith, it'll never, we'll never have all the details, but you do. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.